Sunny 16 presents. Welcome to episode 30 of I Dream of Cameras, the podcast about cameras and camera collecting, brought to you by that gang at the Sunny 16 Podcast. My name is Jeff Greenstein. And my name is Gabe Sachs. I am so excited for episode 30. And not only am I so excited about episode 30, do you understand what important invention was invented 30 years ago? Something that you could not function without. Ritz crackers. No. A lovely snack, but no. It's a photographic thing. Oh, it's not Dippin' Dots, the ice cream of the future? No, another, another futuristic snack. <laughs> Gabe, what was it? What was invented 30 years ago? The Kodak disc for the disc camera. What? Oh, what? yes. How could anyone do without? Look how it's lasted. I think they pay you to take a Kodak disc now, especially a Kodak disc camera. That is a great piece of trivia to lead off exactly. our 30th episode. Do you have any other 30-related trivia? Well, that you I want guess to share? my only trivia is in the 1930s. Huh? There were a number of photographers that were, Dorothea Lange, I can go on and on, but just get it. Just look up 1930s and you'll see all the photographers that were. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff, lot of happened. stuff happened. Things were going on. Yeah. It is our 30th episode. I want to start by saying. We are a little late with this one. Yes, we are. As our friend Rolf Tessum reminded us, Ugh. about an hour ago, Guilty I got us. an email from Rolf. This is the complete email. The subject line is, you're late. <laughs> All it says is, who do you think you are? Moonlighting? Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm telling you. Now, if by that do you mean, are we a classic entertainment that influenced a generation yes. and launched two enormous talents into the stratosphere, right. then yes, Rolf, we are moonlighting. Or is he saying that they're not sure if you and I are going to get together at some point or not? Are they going to hook up? Hmm. That's a very good question. I'm just saying. I just question. I don't know what they're Rolf, saying. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the sexual tension on this show is so thick you could cut it. So, Rolf, maybe you need to clarify what you're talking about. Anyway, look, gang, we gave you a 77-minute episode last time. Those extra 17 minutes should have tidied you over. Exactly. exactly. I think people are getting a little greedy out there. Look, we know you love us. We appreciate it. Better to have people saying, where's the new episode, than to say, oh, them again. Exactly. Well, they might say that too, but it's we'll take it. At least <laughs> they're saying them advice. again and not them again. Yes. Let's talk about how today's episode is going to go. It's our 30th, and here's what we're doing for our 30th. First, we are going to dip into the voluminous... Mailbag. And after that... <laughs> <laughs> After that, we have an interview. Who's our interview with, Gabe Sachs? It's going to be a surprise. Her name sounds like Jessica Devick. Okay. <laughs> sounds very much like Jessica Devick. She's a very talented Amazing. photographer. It's a great conversation. Stay tuned for that in the back half of today's show. But first, we are going to dip into that extravagant... <laughs> mailbag. <laughs> Starting with... Our friend Billy Sanford. Now, I just want to warn you guys, because this is going to be an incredibly fast-paced episode, I am not going to read every syllable of your deathless prose. We appreciate every email we get, but we're going to read them at speed. Here we go. Billy was checking in, and he said, 
I thought the reference to bulk loading was timely given some of the recent talk about rising film prices. And then he runs down the various costs of a 36 exposure roll, 24 exposure, 50 pack, 50 pack of 24, and 100 foot roll. And here is what he concludes. If you roll a 100-foot roll into 1836 exposure rolls, it's 12 cents an image rather than 17 cents an image for a 36 exposure roll or 23 cents an image for a 24 exposure roll. So it is clearly cost advantageous. So this is what he says. The takeaway is the substantial savings per image if one is willing and able to buck load. Gabe, are you bulk loading? You know what? I will tell you, since that episode, I have absolutely not bulk loaded. But I'm telling you, this is one thing. And I just looked at my downstairs. I got uh, an order of film. But I really, oh. I, I think before the next episode, I am going to bulk load. I'm very excited about it. Okay, good. Yep. Good. I know you have four bulk loaders, so just pick one up. But I'm going to ask pick you to make up. the phone call to Photomat so I can get some of those uh, exactly. canisters. Exactly. Okay, thank you. So, Billy, thank you for that. Now we move on to Malcolm Myers. Malcolm said, hi, Jeff and Gabe. To Gabe's question about whether to use his old film Canon EF lenses on an old EOS film camera, I can heartily recommend it. One lens for both digital and film. Oh, great. I suspect that Gabe had the original EOS 650, which is fine. The autofocus is a little slow by modern standards. I think the late 90s EOS 300 Rebel is a better bet. It's simple to use as a beginner's camera, has much faster autofocus. Gabe may also appreciate its ability to have flash up to the top shutter speed with an appropriate flash. And he links to a 3.5 MMC article where Malcolm reviews the Canon EOS 300. Check it out. Oh, I will. Thank you. That's awesome. Excellent. Next up, our friend Christian Hillen from the Netherlands. His Instagram is Analog Wilderness, and he checked in on a few fronts. He said, hey, guys, finally got around to mailing on a topic. Here goes. Listen to episode 29, the topic of bulk loading is discussed. <laughs> From the moment the possible solutions are mentioned, I start mumbling to myself, just get used film canister from a local store. <laughs> Lo and behold, the solution presents itself. This is what he did. He just walked into the local camera shop. They said, take a look in the back, take all you want. He ended up with 30 spent rolls with the small piece of film protruding, and they told me I could come back anytime. That is how you do it, gang. He also points out to cut the leader, you can get a 3D printed cutting mold from Thingiverse, which, in case you don't know, is the 3D printing clearinghouse. You can either order up the stuff from Thingiverse or you can find a friend with a 3D printer to make you one. Anyway, we will put the links in the show notes so you can see this. Great email. Thank you, Christian, for checking in. Next up, Martin McPherson. Oh, here we go again. Letters and calls are coming. Martin's Instagram is audioper, audioper, audio P-E-R. This is what it is. He said, thank you for doing a Canon show. I feel like Canon always gets forgotten because Nikon acolytes are much louder. (laughs) Please do a show on bulk loading. I want to get into it too. He says, the plastic bodied EOS cameras are, in my opinion, the absolute best starter cameras. Cheap, plentiful, Fairly reliable, though not perfect, as you guys both mentioned. And while EOS glass is still a bit pricely, the nifty 50s are readily available. He talks about picking up an Elon 7E with the eye-tracking autofocus. That's a great one. Seems like the most obvious idea ever, but he says it's not much faster than using the D-pad on the back, which I found to be the case is true. His dad taught him photography with an AE-1, an FT, and an FTB. The only one he still hung on to is the AE-1, which he says is a terrible starter camera, way, way overpriced, but he likes it anyway. 
He says this is coming from a guy whose primary shooter is an Olympus 4T. He says he had a Canon 3 rangefinder. Shutter curtain had holes. The Canonets are great, even outside the infamous QL17 G3. And he says, you're right. The dials are cool, but I've never seen one work. We're going to talk about that in a minute. One last thing. I'm sorry, Jeff, but the T90 is the ugliest SLR Canon made. Fight him on that. <laughs> Next up, Lars Janer, Janer, Janer. I hate when podcasting people do that, say, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. So right. I'm just taking a shot. Yeah, do Lars all of them. You'll get Janer says, yeah, love the show, especially the most recent episode about Canon. My first SLR was my father's hand-me-down A1 that I used all through the 1980s. Gabe, have you used the A1? I really have not used it. I've used an AE1, but not the A1. Yes. He says, Andre Agassi convinced him to get an EOS Rebel. Of course, we remember those ads. He says, what I really want to get your opinion on is this. I have two Canon A1s and three Pentax Spotmatic 1000s simply because I need to have multiple rolls of film going at once. He said, I live in Boston and weather and light conditions vary widely and daily, even within a few hours. So unlike you Angelinos, I can't commit to 36 frames of 100 speed film and be good for the day or week. So he says, why have multiple identical bodies? Because what I'm actually collecting is lenses. Ah. The A1s are obviously for Canon FDs, also a few Vivitars and Sigmas, and the Spotmatic are for M42s, including Helios, Jupiter, and Takamar. Any thoughts on this approach? So here's what he's talking about. Having multiple bodies so that you can use multiple lenses or film stocks simultaneously. Gabe, do you ever do that? I am very impressed with that. I really don't have a lot of the same bodies. I have that EOS 3. I I, I did have two EOS 1Ns, but it was that same situation with the magnet, and they both went down. So there was no uh, yeah. recovering them, and the cost was astronomical. So I bought the EOC, but I've never had that. But that's a great idea. That's really yeah. great. Yeah. Our friend, Professor Bear Brown, checked in, and he mentioned a camera that I've never heard of. Get this. He said, when the question came up about a Grail camera, I had one, and I recently acquired mine, the Debris Sept with a clockwork motor. It is. It's B-E-B-R-I-E. You the, know this camera. It's the coolest looking camera. It's really, really, it looks like a sort of part robot. This picture, yeah. it looks like no other camera I've seen. Yep. It looks kind of like maybe the kind of camera that you would have in the nose of a B-29 bomber. Uh, absolutely. It looks like it's built like that. Yeah, and here's how he describes it. It's called the SEPT, S-E-P-T, because it does seven different things. It can be a still camera, a sequential camera for taking a rapid sequence of still pictures, as a cine camera with the attachment of a suitable light source as a still projector, likewise as a cine projector, likewise as an enlarger with an exposed film fed through the camera alongside a developed film to print a strip of negatives as a positive film strip. So you can use it as a contact printer. Oh my God. It's crazy. He says... So far, he's only tried it for these first three applications. Once I can figure out or 3D print something to hold the film as a projector, and I have an enlarged amount to try it that way as well. My God, that sounds amazing. He has a suggestion for a show topic, and I want to get your take on this, Gabe. Personalized film speeds. In my cinematography classes, I teach how to test dynamic range, latitude, but drawing from my old school training, how to determine the ISO that the cinematographer likes. For example, Fuji Eterna 500, I like to rate at 400, but Kodak 5219, I like to rate 
at 800. This gets crazy when I introduce this in my digital cinematography courses. Do you have any sort of personal idiosyncratic ratings you use for certain film stocks? None. None. I mean, I'm very interested in that. Like, I'm very interested in people shooting Tri-X at 320 or Tri-X at, you know, 200 or, you know, it's so interesting. I love a very contrasty shot. So... I haven't tested enough to to see what's best, but I'm fascinated when people. I know people who only shoot film at their own rating. Yeah, they don't. It's they never shoot isn't box it? speed. Yeah. He also says I have a Canonette QL17 uh, G3, but my issue is I actually think it is too small. Hmm. Very very interesting. And he took he enclosed a picture of himself with his own Canon G3 QL. Bear, we love hearing from you. Thanks so much for checking in. Okay. Bruce Horn wrote in. Thanks for the Canon episode. Jeff, my on-trade SLRs has some similarities to yours. He talks about saving up his babysitting money for popular photography in the Nikon and Canon catalogs. He finally settled on the Canon FTBN, the new FTB, QL. And he used it, but he found it too heavy. And he found himself kicking himself for not waiting till the next year when the OM-1 came out. Hmm. He said, I have a few thoughts I think might be helpful for young photographers who think they might like to get into film photography, but are worried film cameras might become scarce and too expensive. Yes, whatever cameras are the current fad will be expensive. And yes, the top of the line pro cameras, which were much cheaper than they should have been when wedding photographers and the like switched to digital, have started to recover to levels which are commensurate with their quality. Here's what he suggested. He looked around a bit and he found a 50-year-old Exacta, 25 to 80 dollars. Pentax SF10s, 25 to 30 dollar range. Oh, wow. These are electronic motor-driven cameras, but you can still get the batteries. He said the Pentax ME Super, which you know we love, mm-hmm. 40 to 80 dollars. What he, the point he's making is don't overspend on your first camera. Right. right. Like absolutely, you know, spend that money get, on film. Spend that money on film and processing. Absolutely. Spend that money on a bulk loader. Right. Don't spend $250 on your first film camera just because your neighbor has a K1000 or an AE1. A functional SLR, absolutely go for it. It's a photographic tool, and if you get hooked, eventually you can upgrade to those dream cameras, but you may find that your dream camera is somebody is not somebody else's. Great email from Bruce. We're almost through our prodigious mailbag. Here we go. Dylan Bauman wrote in about cannons for concert photography, and he sent many beautiful shots, but I just want to spotlight the part of this that blew my mind. He said, when he was shooting concerts on film, have you ever done that, by the way? Yes. You ever done any? You have? Yes. What camera did you use for that application? Let's think. I used the M6, and then way back when, I must have used the Canon Elon maybe 7. I'm yeah. trying to think and what, what film I was using. I was using 400 and holding very still. Great. <laughs> and they worked. It okay, worked. well, here's what he talks about. He says that he started with the Mamiya M645 with the iconic and beautiful 80 millimeter f1.9, but then and then he tried his Canon F1N with a 35 millimeter f2 loaded with Delta 3200, right? But then here's what he landed on. He opted to pick up a Canon 7 rangefinder. Wow. With the Jupiter lens and he got some amazing shots with it. 
Incredible. So he said, I got the F1N on one shoulder and my Canon 7 with the Jupiter 8 on the other shoulder. He said the 50 millimeter Jupiter 8 was a little too tight. But anyway, it's just fascinating to see these beautiful shots he got with a camera that you would never think of for concert That's photography. That's impressive. And, and it's just an old rangefinder camera. Dylan, your stuff is beautiful. Thanks for writing in. He is Dylan, D-I-L-L-O-N dot Bauman on the Instagram. Perfect. On we go. Short email from our friend, Derek Leith, in St. Louis, Missouri. He said, I recently found your podcast. I'm going through them one at a time. I'm a photographer and camera collector with over 200 cameras. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He said his, his go-to camera would be Leica. At last count, he had 14 of them. Oh, my goodness. He bulk loads his film. Fomapan 100 is the latest. Jeff, I have an Alpa 9D. <gasps> what a fantastic camera. Oh, boy. His Instagram is DL underscore images. And he also has lots of his cameras on Flickr under his name. It's Derek Leith, L-E-A-T-H. Derek, thanks for writing. 14 Leicas, my God. <laughs> okay. Nick Isom wrote in. Longtime listener, first time emailer. I love when people address us like we're a sports talk I know, show. it's fancy. Makes me happy. He said, I was feeling smug today loading the XA4. He got an Olympus XA4. Right. I recently snagged with HP5. Bulk rolled into a 1960s Ilford FP3 hmm. cartridge. I usually use HP5 cartridges, but I inherited some ancient FP3 cartridges. Thought he would try them. I assumed they would work perfectly in the XA4, not being DX-coded. But when the camera was set at ISO 1600 and still making one-second exposures, he realized it was reading the metal film canister oh boy. as ISO 25. Oh, wow. Wow. So, guys, he said, lesson learned. I taped over the DX code on an HP5 canister, and now all is well. So, isn't that interesting? Yeah. You got to be careful with these old metal cartridges because the reflection of the metal will sometimes trigger the DX coding as if it's a DX code. Very interesting and a great tip. He is Nick Esom, E-A-S-O-M, photo on the Instagram. He also put in a... He said, if you do a Little Guys episode, can I put in a word for the Flexorette oh TLRs goodness. made by Mayopta? I've seen pictures of those. I have too. I've used never them. used one. Okay. Next up, this is our last email in the prodigious mailbag. Jody Andrasi wrote, I'm going to read this one because it made me so happy. Canonette QL17. Are you ready, Gabe? Yes. Finally, someone is talking about this. I'm not going to fight you on this, Jeff, but might differ a little on your description of the Canonette QL17 as being tinny. First, beautiful camera. Got the look. Got the lens. Straight up iconic camera, which is why I bought one. Now, he bought the QL19, same camera basically with a 1.9. Right. He said, you said it best. The pictures are fine. There's nothing wrong with the images I got from this camera, but what I can't get over is the shutter button. I would describe it as spongy or maybe muddy. Hmm. It just doesn't have the responsiveness I expected. It feels like I'm pressing down on the shutter button for an eternity before the shutter is triggered. Sometimes I swear the force of my finger causes me to tilt the frame. I'm probably overreacting, but I've even gone so far as to remove the top plate to install a coupling or washer. Anyway, it did not work for him. He eventually swapped for an Olympus 35 SP, and he's going to look to pass on his QL19 to somebody else. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Okay, the SP, really good camera, but isn't that fascinating? He had the same reaction to the feel of it, that springy, springy shutter. 
not to my liking. That closes. <clears throat> the mailbag. Ding. <laughs> now we're going to throw it to Gabe. We have about 10 minutes yeah. before we jump yeah. to the Jessica Devick interview, okay? Gabe had an amazing adventure this week. I'm going to throw it to him to talk about that adventure. Go, man. I was very excited. Well, first of all, I love meeting photographers that have taken, you know, iconic pictures. I'm sure all of us do. But there's one picture in particular, and I, I love music photography. And the one picture of John Lennon with the New York City t-shirt shot by Bob Gruen yep. is one of those shots that I've always been fascinated with. And the history of it, and the history of it is very simple. It's like Bob bought that shirt, John, he knew John. He bought that shirt for $5 on the corner by a bodega in New York, Amazing. gave it to John as a gift. And then a year later, they go shoot some pictures on his roof. And he goes, do you still have that picture, the, that T-shirt? He goes, yeah, I totally have that T-shirt. I love that T-shirt. Puts the T-shirt on, they cut the sleeves off, and he's shooting this picture. And it just becomes the biggest thing. And so he was going to be doing a signing of his books at Morrison Hotel Gallery, which I'm sure many of you know. If you don't, you should look them up. It's a... What part of LA is that in? Is that downtown? In, it's in West... One's in West Hollywood. The one is at, Hollywood, it's at the okay. Sunset Marquee Hotel. And then there's one in Soho in New York. And it's just amazing. You could just go in. If you love photography, you'll just see historic rock and roll you know, shots by famous photographers. And so I go there to, to meet Bob and I get there early and there's really no one there. And then all of a sudden someone walks in. And I'm just like, going, oh my gosh, that's Henry Diltz. And oh, I'm going, the, I, for, oh. not only does he own, you know, Morrison Hotel, he's one of the three photographers yes. that own it, but he shot, you know, he lived in Topanga Canyon and he shot, you know, Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and tons of album covers. And he was in that group. He was actually a folk singer. He's actually in a folk band. Right. And then he... I have the documentary about him oh, on DVD. So it's good. called Under the Covers. Right. I've watched it a dozen times. It's, it's If you so guys great. seek it out, it's so amazing about all the incredible album covers and rock photography that he's done. So, of course, I turn to him and I go, Henry? <laughs> and he comes over and... He was lovely. He was so friendly. We, I asked him a million, every question I wanted to ask. And it was ah. so exciting. And, and just to hear him, like he still has that enthusiasm. And he tells him he was a musician with a camera. He went into a thrift store and saw a camera for 20 bucks. And he bought this camera. And all of a sudden, he was a photographer because he was just shooting his friends. And people say, oh, you were a photographer. Were you touring with these things? And I said to him, I said, so how did that work? He goes, I was a musician. We'd come into town for six nights. It wasn't like you went to the Troubadour and played one night. You played six nights at the Troubadour. It was very different back then. Right. And he would just shoot his friends. They'd be up in Topanga and Mama Cass introduced him to everyone. And then Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young. And it goes on and on. But it was great to hear. I mean, he's told the story a million times about the Doors cover, you know, the the Morrison Hotel cover. And he told it all over again. And I was so excited. He said, he said, they went down there. They saw this place downtown. It was this flop house. It was $2.50 a night for a room. And they wanted to shoot in there because it was a perfect window. So they walk in and the guard who was working there said, no, you have to get the permission of the owner. I can't let you do this. And so they were all bummed and they leave and they decide they're going to shoot something else. And then Henry turns around and sees in the distance inside 
the elevator light going on and the guard had walked <gasps> into the elevator and went upstairs and he went run so they all ran oh, in there they posed he shot that shot in five minutes and they left wow and that was it and that was the cover i mean they just he wow. she shot a couple angles and that was it it was just amazing and then they went down to another like sort of little diner place and he shot a bunch of other pictures but it, he shot that so quickly and of course i said well what happens like that becomes this iconic doors cover like what about the rights he goes he goes, oh, yeah, we didn't worry about that. I think Warner Brothers or Capital, whoever was the company, had to pay $500 or something like that. Oh, it was wow. something like that. And then they got the rights to it. But, um, That's amazing. But talking about being up there and he was so gracious and, you know, we're going to, we may have him on the show, which would be an oh, absolute my God, honor. Be unreal. But I think I'm going to reach out. He was so great. And then I got to meet Bob Gruen. Bob Gruen walks in. And uh, I talked to him for, you know, about his shots. And, and there's a Polaroid of Bob shooting that John Lennon picture. Yeah, which I've seen it me. recently. So I asked yeah. him, I said, who shot that Polaroid? And he said, you know, there's sort of, there's sort of a toss up who shot that Polaroid. And he's pretty <laughs> sure it was one of the assistants that was up there helping him out. But he was so thankful. Like, it was so great to have that. But you know, he spent so much time with John Lennon and John and Yoko really trusted Bob that he has all these amazing, you know, amazingly historic pictures that are just amazing. And you can find them in, you know, John Lennon, the New York years. And and there's another John Lennon book he has, but it was such a great time. So that was- How incredible, like two iconic so photographers it was the same so day. so exciting. And it was fun because I went with our composer, Fred Corey, uh, who is a rock and roll star himself. Sure. And it was great to see his reaction of all that photography. It was really, really oh, fun. That's amazing. What a great it was story. Great. That's it was fantastic. Okay, I had my own adventure, which I'm going to shorthand. I went to Atlanta for my sibling reunion. We have this every year. I have three siblings. There is Keith, who you've heard about on this podcast. There is my brother, Stephen, who is a mathematician. There is my sister, Jill. Jill is a cannabis lawyer and a criminal defense attorney. And we have these reunions every year. So this was the Atlanta reunion. And, of course, I had to go to KEH, the new brick-and-mortar store. Oh, so jealous. Oh, my God, you guys. Okay, if you've spent any time on the KEH website, you know that it's amazing how much they have. Well, imagine there is a small brick-and-mortar store that is bolted to the side of the warehouse, and you go online, and anything that you see, they'll go in the back and bring it out to you. Wow. And the the storefront itself is relatively small. They have a few cameras on display, one of which I bought right away, this Konica S3, Beautiful. this cute little 35-millimeter rangefinder. But you just say, hey, can I look at this? Hey, can I look at that? Everyone was friendly. They gave me some swag. I cannot recommend this highly enough if you're in Atlanta. There's nothing like it. I mean, I guess it's sort of like B&H, except it's not as busy right, as B&H. Right. So they, I must have spent 45 minutes in there. They were only too happy to help. Obviously, incredible technical knowledge. We love the company. It was absolutely amazing. Did you get to peek in the back? Did you get... There's any no. sense of like no. what the warehouse is and how giant... Uh, I, 
I know it's going to look like the final scene in Raiders of the Lost oh, Ark. Oh, I get so I mean, exciting about that. I mean, it's got to be incredible. And next time I go, I may, you know, play the, hey, we mentioned you on our Smash Hit podcast card. Uh, but um, <laughs> but anyway, it was incredible. And I bought, in addition to the Konica, I bought a Nikonos underwater super wide angle lens, which I now realize you can't use above water. But who cares? Because it was like $40. Exactly. It was amazing. So that was great. I want to say one other thing before we round out this half hour and roll into the interview. Two eBay acquisitions. Oh, this yes. Week. Oh, yes. Talk about the good one first. Yes. Who boy. As threatened, I got a Canon Flex. Oh, my God, you guys. That's so beautiful. The Canon Flex with the trigger wind on the bottom. So cool. I mean, it is so cool. I haven't shot a roll through this yet. It's got a one two thousandth of a second top shutter speed. It was not that expensive. And look at that sexy black finder on the chrome body. <gasps> Can't wait to shoot with it. I did have an eBay misadventure, though. Uh-oh. And I want to round this out because this is didactic. This is instruction for the teeming <laughs> masses. As I mentioned, I bought a Canon Dial Rapid from a seller in Portugal. He assured me when we exchanged information, that it worked perfectly. I was skeptical because I've never seen a working Canon dial of any sort. It arrived about 10 days later. It did not work at all. So I initiate the return process. He argues with me. He says, well, I'm a reputable seller. And I said, I'm telling you, man, I know this camera pretty well. It whines, but it does not fire. The shutter doesn't open. It doesn't work. And so after some back and forth, he's like, well, I'll give you a credit. I said, it's not repairable. No one works on this thing. We go back and forth, back and forth. He finally says, okay, ship it back. I'll give you $25 for shipping. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It's $56 to ship it back. It, that eBay requires that you ship it in a trackable way. Otherwise, they don't initiate the refund. We go back and forth and back and forth. Ay, ay, ay. Here is the thing I know. eBay says on their website, and I'm quoting this verbatim, if a seller fails to provide means of returning the item, we can issue a refund without you returning the item first. Guys, never forget that. Yep. eBay is in your corner, okay? And if a seller refuses to take care of the return shipping on something that doesn't work as advertised, hang in there. I got the refund this morning. The guy finally relented. I'm sure eBay was on his jock about it. He said, keep the camera. I was like, all right, I'll keep the camera. I mean, it's a paperweight. Right. But always know that you have that recourse, okay? It's easy to forget, but they have to pay not, they have to not only refund the cost of the item, but the cost to ship it back. Learn it, use it, know it. That's great. Good to know. Thanks anyway, for the lesson. There you go. Gabe, what's coming up next? Right now, we have an interview with Jessica Devick, who's a Toronto photographer. You will learn more about her very soon, but we are very excited to get her on the show because I am a fan and she does beautiful work and I found her on uh, YouTube and I think she's an artist and she loves film photography. So what more could we ask for? Here it comes. All right. We are here with Jessica Devick. It's very exciting from Toronto, an artist, filmmaker, wedding photographer, videographer, street photographer, I can go on and on, but we are very excited to have her on the show. So Jessica, welcome to I Dream of Cameras. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, excellent. Now, 
we have to know your story. So, you know, I first found you on YouTube and was so excited that you're holding a film camera, <laughs> which is the first thing that I go, oh my gosh, I have to know more about her. How do we find out more about her? So, so tell us about like your journey and how you started in film photography and what made you uh, go over to film photography instead of just going to digital? Um, so I think I kind of accidentally stumbled into it. It was in a 2006. I wanted to get my drawings that I was doing on paper on the computer. So I needed a digital camera to do that. And my friend gifted me a digital camera and I was taking pictures of my drawings. And then I got carried away with photography just using this point and shoot Olympus camera. And then a couple months after that, a family friend saw just how much I loved photography. So he gifted me a Canon AE-1. Yes. And, hey. Yeah. I the love... gateway drug. I just got one. <laughs> oh, That's really? So it's good. amazing. Yeah, I just got one. I've never had one before. Oh, it's That's beautiful. So, cool. so like after I got that camera, I just, I stopped using my Olympus digital camera and I just got carried away with it. And I wasn't even consciously like, oh, I'm shooting film. At the time, it was very economical. Uh, I could spend five or $10 here and there and continue photography. It was cheaper than buying a digital SLR. So right. I loved the whole process of it. And you were doing, you were doing artwork before that? Like what was your... What, what was your artwork like? I was doing drawings, but uh, honestly, they weren't even that great. I liked art, but <laughs> I didn't know what kind of art I wanted to do because I wasn't really good at drawing, but I, I liked being creative. And, and when I got that camera, it kind of answered that question for me. It was like an outlet that I was capable of, of doing. So. That's great. <laughs> Let me ask you just about Okay, so are you like a teenager when you get your first film camera? Yeah, so I would have been in grade 12. Did you have any context for film photography? I mean, that's a fairly advanced semi-automatic camera, but did you have any sort of understanding of aperture, shutter speed, film speed, or you just dove in? I just dove in. And at the time, I remember Googling because film photography was a foreign concept. I didn't really know what it was. So I Googled film photography and the first website I saw was Elliot Erwitt. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then I I didn't know this could, you could do this with film. So I just, I just dove in. I just, I shot a bunch of roles, a bunch didn't turn out, but then it, it gave me this drive to try even harder, you know, because I wanted my film to turn out, but I, I learned a lot through that. I learned a lot through the trial and error process. Oh, I love that you kept at it. That's so great. Was that early stuff black and white or color? It was color. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think, and I think it was just maybe Shoppers Drug Mart film, just whatever I could get. Right, right. Yeah. I forgot Shoppers Drug Mart had (laughs) stuff like that. That's uh, their CVS, uh, Jeff. Oh, okay. Thank (laughs) you. <laughs> I'll just translate everything Canadian you. for you. I'll, I'll be able to translate all the Canadian stuff into <laughs> English. Like if she be... says, if she says a boot, that's about. Just explain okay, I'll help to me that, that that's about. Yeah. I will help you with all that stuff. I'm, I'm, I can translate. I'm very good at that. So you start with that. You start transferring your work, you know, to film, and that's exciting. And then what's the next step? I mean, is it street photography or mm. taking pictures of friends or? Yeah, I took. I brought my camera everywhere and I was taking pictures of my friends and I remember one of the first rolls of film I got I didn't know what to think of it I didn't know if it if I was happy with it or if I liked it and 
I brought it to school and I was sitting in front of my locker with a friend of mine, Alexia, and she was like, these are so cool. And I, I said, really? Um, so she kind of gave me the confidence to to sort of pursue it. So after that, I started a, a MySpace page and just started selling prints. And then someone asked me to shoot their wedding from, they found my MySpace page, asked me to shoot their wedding. So that's how I got into weddings. Had you seen wedding photography before? Because you have a really unique take and it's like, that's so exciting when you see that and you go, oh my gosh, these are totally different <laughs> captured moments than you would see. So it's like, it's it's so great that you probably went into it not having seen wedding yeah. photography. Yeah, at that point, I don't remember wedding photography and I was just going into it with the knowledge of that I had learned from photographing my friends. Um, so I just kind of carried, I mean, it's the same thing. You're, you're photographing people in a candid state. So I just- right carried that knowledge into a different field, I guess. You are the first wedding photographer we have spoken to cool. on our Smash Hit podcast. <laughs> and I want to ask, um, that seems like an extraordinarily high pressure environment. Terrifying. Which requires an enormous amount of planning. <laughs> and also, I would imagine a lot of hand-holding, like there's a certain kind of psychological component. Can you talk a little bit about that part of the job? Mm -hmm. Just, I'm really curious about that. Yeah, it's been a growing process because at first I did exactly what I wanted to do. And then as the years went by, the trends on Instagram and Pinterest kind of dictated my approach a little bit. And I, I felt like right. I started losing myself again. So my website crashed like whoever was hosting it the it failed or whatever so my website crashed and, and it actually was a benefit to me because i got to start with a clean slate again um and i just posted the work that i wanted to get which was purely candid and kind of like backyard weddings more of a party and just because i think you'll post you'll get whatever work that you post and right. so I just, I just really wanted to, sh to shift that. Yeah. Those looks are just, we love them. When you do a wedding these days, do you do a hybrid approach where you have a digital camera over one shoulder and a film camera the other, or do you just go and shoot nothing but film? Um, I do a hybrid for most weddings, but some weddings they want all film. So, wow. Yeah. And how does that alter your shooting regimen when you're there because obviously you can't go yeah. quite as fast and lighting yeah. i would imagine can be very tricky how does it change things for you i don't get every moment but i have to be more choosy right and then yeah there's like the moment where i have to change the film which there's stuff happening while i'm changing them, so <laughs> right. I'm a little bit, um so i usually shoot all film ones when it's maybe a more intimate wedding because i find that suits the pace of shooting film better but for the most part, it's hybrid. Right. Yeah. And what, so what was, let's talk about your, the history of your film photography. So you get the AE1. Yeah. And then what, what lures you, this is our favorite thing. What <laughs> lures you into the next camera and what makes you want to get another film camera yeah. and another film camera? Well, after my AE-1, I thought I should get a digital SLR. And I thought digital SLR meant it was going to look like film, like that it was a digital <laughs> right. version of an SLR camera. Right. So I got, you know, a Canon, I don't know, 50, 30 or something, whatever it's right. called. 
Yeah, and I was so disappointed and dis- dissatisfied with the fact that it didn't look like film. I was so naive. I thought it was a digital SLR. So then after that, I was like, well, I want another film camera. And then and then you see how every film camera has its own quirks and you have to learn how to use with its quirks. And right. they all have different results. And then there's, you know, an unlimited amount of film that you can experiment. So, I mean, it just never ends. <laughs> So yeah, I I got addicted. It was like, you know, what's the next camera? And I think at that point, I had a Leica M6 in mind. Right. uh, Because I had learned about Elliot Erwitt, which opened up the door to Magnum photographers. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what are they shooting with? And then it was usually, it's mostly the Leica M6. So I told myself that if I stuck to photography for 10 years, that I would buy myself an M6. (laughs) Yeah. Oh wow. my god. Was that your second film camera? You went from an AE1 to an M6? No, in between that I had like a Smina 8M. I think it's just it's some camera I bought from a market in Serbia. Mm-hmm. I, I bought little film cameras here and there. I can't really remember, but that was like my next biggest purchase was the M6. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a huge step. Yeah. But I guess at that point, like you said, you were really dialed in and you knew that this was something that you were really going to pursue. Yeah. There was no turning back. And we have yeah. never, just for the record, we have never bought a camera in Serbia. Just so you're clear <laughs> no. that we, that's one thing we have not. I mean, we've looked around Serbia, but we really, it was like, oh yeah, oh, that camera. I don't want that camera. It's like, sure, sure, we could go do that. What was the, and the next one was the M6? I, maybe I have this wrong. Okay, it might have been my AE1, the Smina, and then my Yashica A. And then ah, my Leica. Yeah. There we go. The Yashica A is a TLR. Am I correct about that? Twin lens reflex. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. TLR. Yeah. I love TLRs for portrait photography. Me is too. that what you got it with an eye toward pursuing? Yeah. I don't know what got me on that camera. I think, I don't know if I just saw a picture of it online. But I just love that the approach is completely different from what I was using. I just, yep. I like the idea of learning something new. And yeah, it's it's amazing for portraits. It's one of the things that we talk about on this show a lot is how different cameras and different tools bring out different parts of you as an artist, yeah. even as they are also suited to different types of subject matter. And so it's so interesting to me to hear you talk about the first four machines you used are also different from one another. Mm-hmm. Right. And the applications are also different. And I think that's really interesting just in light of the vast breadth of your work. That's one of the things that was so impressive to me looking at your website is how facile you are <laughs> in a variety of different disciplines, portraits and street photography, wedding photography, and so forth. Can you talk about the tools and the things that you use them for? Like what kinds of cameras are suited to what kinds of subject matter? Yeah, it's funny. I, I go based on mood. Sometimes it's like the mood that I'm in that day. Sometimes it's what I think would suit the couple best, like if I'm doing a portrait shoot. But yeah, it's kind of also dependent on what I feel like using that day. Right. Which, which I don't know. Um, over the years, so many people have given it. Other photographers have been like, well, you need you need one look, one camera. Um, Interesting. Yeah, you're sabotaging yourself by jumping all over the place. But I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. 
Oh, no, you shouldn't agree with that. I jump yeah. all over the place every day, as Jeff yeah. can attest to. I mean, yes. you can't even, me deciding what cameras to walk out the door with at the grocery store <laughs> yeah. is an issue. So it it becomes uh, very crazy. Now, tell us about getting the M6. Like, what was mm -hmm. the process, research? Like, what did you do? What lens did you want? Yeah, I know there's two versions of the M6. And now I forget the, the TTL and then yeah. the classic, yeah. So I don't know which one I got. Is that? Let's see. Are you dial. holding it up? Yes, that's the classic, I believe. Classic? Yes, yes. Does, if okay. it has a smaller dial on the top, yeah. then it's the classic one as opposed to the TTL. Okay, yeah. so I just my friend Marlon in Florida has a Leica camera, so I just asked him like what the difference was between those two, and just based on what he said, I decided on this camera, and then I just looked for one on eBay, and I was just I just waited for one that looked you know, good. Right. Um, and then I went to downtown camera actually, right. and I bought my Summicron 35 millimeter F2. Great. I wanted a 35 millimeter perspective that that's what I know. So that's uh, great. I learned, yeah. I learned a little bit about the lens. Uh, it was manufactured in 1969. And it was made in Midland, Ontario, which only there was only a short run of lenses. Yeah, made. right. Yeah. yeah, yes, totally true. So yep. it's it has such a cool characteristic that other Summicrons don't have. Like when you shoot at f two, it has a nice ghostly effect around the edges and around the subject, and it's such a beautiful lens. But I didn't realize I was buying such a unique lens when I when I picked it up. So it was a nice. Surprise. I was just looking at that exact. <laughs> lens really yeah in atlanta at keh about a week ago oh yep. no way they had and and i had wanted that specific one and i looked at it it's i mean they are eye-wateringly expensive now are they're they so, oh they're so like how much expensive but it's about two thousand dollars okay that's us too yeah yeah and i took a long hard look at it and it was very hard to sort of push it aside yeah and put it down. But I know what you mean about the rendering. It's really specific mm -hmm. and really different. And I totally get why you'd fall in love with that piece of glass. I remember the first roll of film I developed on the M6. I got the negatives back. And I, I just held them up to the sky. And I remember the negatives look so three-dimensional. I've never oh, developed so great. I've never developed film that looked like that before. The buildings look like they were coming off of the negative. I just it was so cool. So I think that's unique to this camera. Right. Know. Yeah. And how do you feel, what do you use the M6 mostly for? Like what's the, will you do weddings or do you feel street or what do you think? For street portraits and weddings. I, I like it for weddings because it's good for any weather condition. Right. Uh, it's a mechanical camera. My AE1 has problems in the cold and things like that so i just need a is it cold in toronto are you telling me that it gets cold up there could, th could this be true yeah <laughs> right so oh, it's that's just great. the most versatile camera it's, it's reliable so i need that right. for a wedding oh. do you have a bunch of lenses for it or is that 35 what you lean the hardest on yeah i only have a 35 sometimes i think about getting Look a wider it. one but it's the most versatile Yes, that is what Gabe was shooting me with earlier today. Earlier today. Oh, yeah. Except, except, F2. except, except, except. Jessica, <laughs> you will learn later on that to okay. make your lens perfect, you need to drop it 
and have a big crack right. on the back of it on the back element. And then you will see the magic of the lens. Um, oh. Yes, if you've ever, uh, <laughs> we've talked about it on the podcast, but I was shooting a television show and I got out of my director's chair as I was changing a lens. And the lens went like this. It just started flipping in the air and flipping it. Yes. <clears throat> the face that Jessica's making right now is the face that the entire camera oh department horror. Yeah, was yes. making. Horror and revulsion. Was it like and a slow motion? Yeah. It all looked like in slow motion, yeah. including me turning white. And then all you heard was, dink. And that was it landing on the back element. And so... I took it in and every Story. every uh, repair person and B&H and on and on, they all looked at it and said, this will never happen again. It did not affect the lens at all. Oh, and wow. it's a big crack in the back. You can see it. It's visible. I was just very lucky. But I yes, I can't stand that story. I know. So, I hate that story. So they didn't fix it. There's they no. First of all. There's no they, way to fix it. They said to fix it would be as the as much as a new lens. Number one and number two, they put it through every scope possible, and there's mm-hmm. absolutely no in the line of fire of however they yeah. they measure it. They said this <laughs> this is no different than they put it up to a brand new lens that it's all fine. Oh man, you're lucky. <laughs> Yeah, it was panic. One of my favorite parts of your website is where you have your weapons. Yes, your arsenal. As you describe them. Your arsenal of cameras. And I noticed, okay, in addition to the M6, the Yashica, the... what You have your you have a Contax G2. Yeah. What else is in the arsenal? Talk us through the arsenal. I didn't put too, too many options on my website because I don't want to overwhelm people. Right. I, I almost think I might have too many listed there. But when I shoot weddings, I do want it to be... a a bit of a collaboration in the in the vision because you know you have the g2 which has the flash which has a certain look which doesn't appeal to everyone but some people might want that so i want to talk through that process with the couple but those are the main cameras i shoot with for for weddings yeah and the yashika a um g2 yeah what else is on there the m6 right sx70 and- Oh yeah, yeah, SX70. Yeah, what about talk about Polaroid <laughs> is, in yeah. your oh, in your Jeff's world? You know we love. Oh my yes. god, <laughs> it is it is my drug of choice. Talk about how you mm-hmm. use Polaroid in the midst of all that. Um, that also depends on the mood of the couple. I think it's best for summertime and outdoor use. Um, Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's something I would talk about with the couple. I love it for portraits. Oh yeah, you can get so close to. Um, and it gets you get really fine detail and I just think it's beautiful I haven't shot with the new Polaroid though like I only used it for impossible project before Polaroid came out uh Jeff's about um, to explode so I just want you to be prepared uh-oh. just here it comes no 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 I'm I, I'm no, no, I'm I'm fine I'm fine <laughs> that tells Listen, me you're not fine <laughs> I absolutely love Polaroid to me Polaroid mm-hmm. is magic yeah I think I am so very grateful to the Impossible Project for making it possible for us to use those films again and those cameras again. I am filled with rage (laughs) because I don't see the films getting any better. Oh, really? I feel like about five years ago, they kind of stopped improving (laughs) the films. And they're kind of stranded in a way. And I feel like they could get better, but they're not. Because they're doing things like 
tie-ins with Tava sandals and oh, Lacoste God. and Stranger Things, and I get <laughs> when I see that, I, I become very upset, and I and I rant about it on the podcast, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> yeah, they're not concentrating on improving the film. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I noticed, and I'm sorry, we have to do this as well. I see Fuji FP100C on oh, your website. Oh yeah, I love that camera. Are you still able to shoot with that? Do you have some stockpiled? I so when they said that they were discontinuing it, I bought a hundred packs of. Fuji. Oh my god! Yeah, okay, wait, <gasps> like, wait, 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 that's wait, what wait, I did. Wait, wait. This and is unbelievable. Keep talking. Unbelievable. Keep going. Unbelievable. This keep is going. incredible. Uh, by the way, Jessica, you're going to have everyone now. <laughs> obsessively DMing you trying to get to buy yeah. your stash. She does not and live in Toronto. She does not no. live in Toronto. Did I, did I say Toronto? I meant... Right. Serbia. Serbia. Oh. She lives in Serbia. 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 Call me in Serbia. Go to Serbia and find Polaroid. Yeah. And I own the camera. I saw it all the film and I maybe this is my only chance to shoot with that camera. I'm going to buy the camera and all the film. Yeah. So I still have a stock and it's it's technically expired, but it's still working. It's still beautiful. Yeah, it's. It, I'm so glad I spent the money. It was. It was a yep. crazy amount to maybe spend at once, but it was. But so think about worth it, it now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I did the same thing. Yeah. I have a fridge. I've talked about this on the show, and people. <laughs> unfortunately, a few of our listeners know where I live. <laughs> I have about 83 packs mm. um, of Fuji FP100C and also 3000B. And I did what you did. When Mm -hmm. they said they were discontinuing it, I was like, well, this is like 10 or 15 bucks a pack. I'll buy 100 of them. Yeah. And of course, now, I mean, those change hands for $150 per pack. It's crazy. Okay. I didn't didn't know they went up that much. Yes. Yes, they went up. It's bananas. But I don't want to disabuse you of shooting with this stuff because you get unbelievably great results and you should be shooting with it and I feel bad that I'm not shooting with it as much as I want to be uh-huh. Jeff and I because I'm afraid of it we've been talking about going out and shooting some because we both have uh, the 195 yeah. yeah yeah what's the camera you use uh, your, what's, what Polaroid camera do you use the peel apart film in what's this one I have oh, it I'm, oh she's going to hold Here it, it goes. up I'm so excited ladies and gentlemen this is great this is great oh it's a Polaroid in a thing okay 250 land i have that one as well do you you know who else has that one i'm gonna make your day jessica patty smith no way really that's the one she has as a matter of fact patty smith has a book of her polaroid photography oh. which is called land 250 okay I have to and check it is that named out. after that camera <laughs> oh it's a gorgeous coffee table book of all of her black and white primarily cool. photography with the same camera that you and i have so good <laughs> So good. We're not, we don't do this on our show. I don't like talking about Holy Grail cameras or anything like that. Okay. We don't do that. No. no, never. Do you have your eye on any other gear? Is there something you're kind of <laughs> jonesing for? That's a good question. <laughs> or are you set? Because it's okay to be set. No, you're not set. Don't I let mean, anyone, okay anyone make you think you're set? set. You're never set. You always want something else. Just yeah. keep saying that. Yes. So I have a TVS three, um, mm-hmm. a con- oh. contact TVS three, and then I got the G two, which kind of is is a faster point and shoot camera, but it's a little bit bulky. So I'm kind of wondering about getting just a smaller point and shoot camera with a yes. flash. Yes, yes. Which one? <laughs> See, I don't know. They've gone up in price so so much. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. 
So I can't decide. I mean, everyone shoots the Olympus one, but which Olympus? Because I'll have a MGU. Oh yeah, oh, right, the U. Right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. I've never used it. Yeah. I I really like how the contacts T three. I like what that T three or T like. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you like the G two, I think you'll like. You know the T two or T three. Mm-hmm. I just I've been using the um, Yashica T four, and oh. uh, which is great until it decides to only go to frame fourteen and then rewind itself. But oh, other no. than that, yeah, Gabe's is demonically possessed. <laughs> yes. It has uh, something happened to it involving the number yeah. fourteen. Right. I think the fourteenth frame was used to photograph a murder. Probably. It's kind of like the ring now. Yes. Like I, it won't go past frame fourteen. I think that's and right. And it rewinds lest it once again witness the ultimate horror. Right. Mm-hmm. But Don't you think that's a pretty good theory? Yeah, and Fuji's coming yeah. out with a uh fourteen exposure film, so I'm very excited about that. <laughs> so I'll be using that for the next uh, next ten years. Actually, you know what else what I, go ahead. I was gonna say I just remembered what I want because I sold my uh, um Pen EED, my Olympus. <gasps> That's a great camera. It is. It is great. The shutter only goes to thirty, though. Um, so I would like to get a half frame camera with a faster shutter. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Here's the thing, okay? Okay. Someone in your life has brainwashed you because no one needs no, no. a half frame camera. Ever. Gabe oh. and I disagree. Oh, oh okay. half frame. Wait, wait, wait. Let, let me just tell you this. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. <laughs> Jessica, he Jessica. Here do he you goes. want? You've, you've, do you want just... a whole cookie or do you want half the cookie? <laughs> this you want the or whole cookie. Or do you cookie. want twice as many cookies <laughs> oh, yeah. that are also deli- that are very delicious? Oh, brother. Okay. I'm going to make a recommendation to you, Jessica, okay. because I care for you. Thank oh. you. Here it is. Have you ever seen this? This is the Canon Sure Shot Multitele. Wow. This is a point and shoot. Okay. Yeah. But it has a secret switch inside. See that little yellow switch? Yep. Oh, so you it can, can turn be either it can turn from a full frame into a half frame. That's pretty what? cool. What is he doing? Look, <laughs> it's both. It does both. It's autofocus. It's got a flash. It's got this cuckoo clock where look how it pops out. Kabam. <laughs> and they're still pretty cheap until we yeah, talk about yeah. them. On the, the show, is, Every it's time over. we talk about a camera, they go up. Yeah. Right. These are great. Look how ugly it is. Yeah, yeah. It's... This is what you want. You want a camera that, and also this has a secret telephoto attachment mm-hmm. that you can also get. That's cool. Look at that. Isn't that fun? Yeah. That's I love my, that. that might be, because I love the Olympus Pen half frames as well. Mm-hmm. I love my half a cookie. <laughs> I love my half a cookie. <laughs> this is the only autofocus camera I own. And in terms of like put film in it and shoot 72 shots, yeah. like shoot all night. And get that like T4-ish look with the on-camera flash. Mm-hmm. That's what I would recommend for you. How about that? That's kind of camera that your, you know, your parents had when you were a kid. Yes. It's yes, like except a family secret, camera. Yes, it looks like the one in Granny's purse. Yeah. Right. It's, <laughs> yes. But it's got the secret trick. <laughs> yeah. It's got a little trick. Okay. I think Gabe's convinced. Whatever. He's not. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we found out that Gabe does have a couple of half-frame cameras. Oh, I, by accident. I had no idea. Seriously, I had no idea. I, I think, Jeff. I honestly think uh, last time I was over at Gabe's house, I snuck them in. Yes, I think I that's, think that's the worry. I did to yeah. shame him. Interesting. <laughs> okay, let's see. Should we round out this half yeah, hour absolutely. with some final questions for Jessica? Okay, I'm going to ask my last question. I'm going to throw it to Gabe. 
What do you wish you'd known at the beginning of this odyssey? Hmm. Or you can just say, I know everything. And I don't wish because I know everything. That's fine too. I think being naive kind of worked to my advantage because I did experience so many failures. So if someone was like, be prepared to be knocked down a hundred times over before you have any little bit of success. I, I don't know how much I would have put, how much effort I would have put into it. So right. I think being naive is, I don't know, it kind of worked to my advantage. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. Great. And tell Absolutely. us, uh, tell us what your favorite film stock to use is. So I always gravitate toward Kodak Gold 200 and Color Plus 200. And I oh, usually under Good I usually choice. underexpose them by two stops. I like how it looks. So wow, that's yeah. very cool. that's really interesting because your stuff has a very specific look. I can see how that that's interesting. Cool. Yeah, I just, just it, it has a lot of range to it. Um, and I like the colors to be a bit more richer. So, yeah, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. I, and what what's your opinion about uh, expired film? Oh, I think it's. I mean, it's it still works. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> now, now, um, please tell everyone how they can find you and your website and Instagram and YouTube. All that stuff would be great. Everything is pretty much under Devic Photos, D-E-V-I-C-F-O-T-O-S. My weddings is under Devic Photos. And then my street photography is under D-Z-E-S-I-K-A-D-E-V-I-C. By the way, Jeff, yeah. Jeff, Z, what is a Z? Z means Z, just so you know. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you. Oh, I, always, I was right. happy to translate that difficult. No, no, I'm glad. It's, I'm glad we had you. <laughs> I'm very fluent. Um but seriously, Jessica, thank you so much for being here. We really, thank really you. appreciate it. We love your work, and and I'm sure we will have you on again, which if you're if you're up for it, I would love to. Yes, thanks so much for the time. You're amazing, and I just I love how you talk about your journey. And gang, check out her work. It's so inspiring in so many ways. You do it all, and it's really, really impressive. Thank you so much. That was the interview. Guys, how about those music cues? Fred Corey. Thank gang. you, Fred. Thank you, Fred. We amazing. are starting to salt the show with more music. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Thanks again to Jessica for the time. She's a brilliant photographer. Please check her out. She described the various ways to find her. It's Jessica Devic, Devic Photos. That's D-E-V-I-C-F-O-T-O-S. Find her everywhere. She's great. That was 30. We have done 30 I episodes. I love 30. It's so exciting. And, uh, you know, it's it's crazy because in celebration of this episode, I'm going out and getting a Kodak Disc camera. I think that's the only proper way to celebrate. And we urge you, mm -hmm. our fans, to do the same thing. And go we'll, out and get a disc camera. And we'll go out and not shoot anything together. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. Final thoughts, Gabe. Take us out of here. Uh, I'm busy looking on eBay for my disc camera. So uh, that's my final thought. No, we'll have more show very soon. We're very excited. There's so many, so many things that we've been doing, and we're excited to share them with you very soon. But again, thank you for listening. We love you all. Bye.